Hello, and welcome to All There Is. I'm your host, Kelly Barkabas. When I launched this podcast in November 2020, I explained in my introduction that this was a way for me to connect, share my writing, inspire people potentially, shift paradigms, work through to find truth and healing, to be authentic and accessible and provocative. You know, that's what I've always wanted for my writing was to be authentic and accessible, provocative and timeless. I wanted it to reach people. I wanted people to be able to relate to it. I wanted it to resonate with people. And also, I wanted to witness this human experience, right? That's what I've really tried to do. And my goal with this podcast was not only to connect and share my writing, but also to share this human experience, to be a witness to humanity and all of the things that we go through from grief to sadness to joy. And for the past 28 episodes, I feel like we did that. We witnessed and shared everything from finding direction with my trail markers episode to connection with each other with my hey friend. We looked at invisible disabilities and talked about my brother Bobby who I wrote um, Chasing the Merry-Go-Round about. And we learned the acronym C, which stands for uh, stop, take a pause, take a moment, take a breath, evaluate what it is that's in front of you, who you're looking at, ask questions. Could they have something else going on that you don't see on the surface? Could there be more to the story? that's on the surface. And then the last E stands for empathize. You know, find a way to put yourself in those shoes. Find a way to connect with the person that you're struggling with or the situation that you're struggling with. So stop, evaluate, empathize. We learned that acronym. And we didn't shy away from tough conversations with episode 12, from Stonewall to see through. We talked about a lot of different topics there. And then we also heard from some friends of mine, Stu Slomberg and how he radically changed his life and his body through consistent exercise and making good food choices. And then we talked about changing the world through activism with Afuo Boheni. Um, my most recent Keep It Real episode talked about postpartum OCD with Lindsay Sprague. And we talked about finding true joy. We talked about having trauma and gratitude at the same time. And we talked about vulnerability and strength. And we talked about finding home within ourselves. We talked about aging and loss, making sense of our mortality and working on destroying life-stealing belief systems around our bodies or food and alcohol. We've covered a lot of ground. And as we wrap up this first season of All There Is, I wanna leave you with something positive, something encouraging, something to make you feel less alone, perhaps, maybe something to inspire you. I had this silver angel ornament that hung from a light pink ribbon on one of the knobs of my dresser in my bedroom. Ever since I received it as a free gift for purchasing something at this cute little gift shop at the regional market in Syracuse, and this was probably 15 years ago now. And it had a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt engraved along the edge. And the quote was, you must do the thing you think you cannot do. And I love that quote because it challenged me. And I didn't quite know how or why or what it meant to me, but I knew that I liked it. So I hung this angel ornament on the knob of my dresser in my bedroom where I would see it every day, multiple times a day. I saw it in the mornings when I was getting dressed. I saw it at night when I was getting ready for bed. So I had it in front of me and I meditated on that quote for a couple of years until one day in February 2009, 
I was at an extreme low point in my personal life. There were some things going on in my marriage at the time and in my career, just really having a tough time. And I was in my early 40s then. And on this day in February in 2009, I walked by this ornament again, and I decided at that moment that that is exactly what I needed. I needed to do something I didn't think I could do. Now, around this same time, there was an article in the Sunday paper, and the article was discussing the controversy caused by the Iron Girl triathlon that was coming to Syracuse. Women were offended by the use of the word girl as opposed to woman in the title of the event, and that is exactly what caught my interest. I was offended and angry, too, at first because I thought the use of the word girl was condescending and demeaning, and they have the Iron Man. How dare they call this the Iron Girl? But regardless of all of that drama, the story itself stayed with me and nagged at me every time I walked by that angel ornament. Just kept nagging at me, and I did some research into the event and began to wonder if I could really do this. And I tried to convince my friends and my sisters to do it with me. They weren't interested. Let me just clarify, too, before we go any further, this event, the Iron Girl Triathlon, was a sprint triathlon. So it was a full swim, bike, run course, but much shorter distances than the Ironman races that you may think of when you think of triathlons. It's usually about a half a mile swim, half a mile to a three-quarter. This particular event, I believe, had an 18-mile bike ride, but it was pretty flat. And then all of the sprint triathlons end with a 5K run at the end, so about a 3.2-mile run at the end. And for me at that time in my life, the distances may have well been an Ironman. I mean, I, I've, I like to work out. I had dreamt of doing a triathlon for close to 20 years, searching for that post-college athletic challenge. You know, I was always an athlete in school, and I still fumbled through working out, you know, through different peaks and valleys of being in shape and not being in shape. But I was looking for a challenge physically. And the more research I did, the more interested I became. Before this Iron Girl event came up, I had bought a couple of books and I read them and I dreamt of doing a triathlon someday. But it always stopped there because I was afraid, I was overwhelmed at the thought of attempting something so big, so scary, And I was afraid. I was afraid I couldn't do it. I was afraid of trying. And I just hadn't been ready to make that kind of courageous decision and commitment. But again, after meditating on that quote that hung on my dresser for a couple of years, and then, um, you know, being at that low point, and then seeing this article in the newspaper, it was kind of like the perfect storm where all three of these elements came together and just had a, a moment where I said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I made the courageous decision to sign up by myself. And I began training right away because I knew I needed all the time I could get. I, I had five months to get ready. Again, it was February in upstate New York, so I wasn't going outside on my bike. But I started riding the stationary bike for an hour a week. I didn't have the budget at the time to spend a lot of money. So I researched free swimming pools and found out that our city had a few with lap swim available. And I started swimming on Sunday afternoons. And I remember when I came out of that locker room after my swim with wet hair, 
you know, changed back into my dry clothes. I felt 16 again. I felt like I was coming out of field hockey practice in 1985 or 1984. The run was the easiest leg for me to train because I was already running a 5K. So I knew I could do that. And like I said, my budget was kind of limited at the time. I I didn't sign up for a fancy coaching group. My training was very simple, really. I trained to go the distance. For each leg of the upcoming race, I just trained for slightly longer than what I thought the event might take me to do. So I swam for 30 minutes. I think the the swim, um, I knew the swim would probably take me about 20 minutes, 22 minutes to complete. So I trained myself to swim for 30 minutes without stopping. And then I rode the bike for at least an hour and I ran for 30 minutes. And it was just a very simple training process. Once the weather broke and spring came, the local triathlon club did hold training sessions every Wednesday night in the summer. And I signed up by myself, met some amazing friends. We practiced all three legs of the triathlon on Wednesday night. The distances were shorter, but we we were able to complete all three sports over a couple of hours on a Wednesday night. The very first night I went to one of these training sessions, I was so scared. I was so nervous. But when the night was over, I knew that I would complete the Iron Girl. It took me five months to train and get prepared from when I signed up to the day of the event. Instead of being overwhelmed by the whole event, I broke it down into sections and I trained for each leg. I didn't get caught up in fancy gadgets or spend a lot of money. I trained and prepared to go the distance. I didn't train to win or to achieve outrageously optimistic times, I trained to finish and to not get injured. I really didn't want to get injured, but um, I really just trained to finish and go the distance. So the day of the event came and it was surreal. You know, the nature of triathlons is that you show up super early before the sun. There And there's a quiet hum as everyone from the volunteers to the racers to the spectators are still rubbing sleep out of their eyes and waking up knowing they're going to be here for a while. And like a musical crescendo, there's an energy at these events that starts really low. And like I said, it's a low hum and it gradually builds to an excitement that is palpable. And I remembered, um, you know, again, it's 530 in the morning, 6 a.m. And, you know, women like me who are, are completing a sprint triathlon for the very first time in their life are nervous and excited and just I think, happy to be there. I was just happy to be there and to have made it there. You know, the excitement, the nervousness, the uh, possibility, the inspiration, the hope, um, the fear, all the courage, all of that was just so palpable in those minutes and moments leading up to the actual event itself. In fact, one of my big memories is there was a song that came on over the loudspeakers and they shifted from kind of the mellow mood music that they were playing over the loudspeakers to really trying to get the crowd pumped up and excited to start the event. And the Black Eyed Peas, I got a feeling that tonight's gonna be a good night. Tonight's gonna be a good, good night. Let's live it up. You know the song. Anyway, I just, I remember when that song came on and all of those emotions were swirling around in me and it just couldn't have been a more perfect moment. 
And then it was time to start the event. And so we all made our way to the beach. And they what they do in triathlons is they send the swimmers out in waves. They usually group you by age group and ability and gender and send you out into the water one group at a time. And so we stood on the beach and watched those first group of swimmers go out. The first wave pushes off from the shore, and they start swimming toward that first buoy. And the other waves are on the beach watching to see how it's going. Is the water rough? How are the waves hitting them? Are there waves? Are the waves hitting them in the face? Are people making it? Are people quitting? Is anybody drowning? Is anybody getting eaten by a big, scary fish that we didn't know was in Oneida Lake? All those things are going through your head. And then it's your turn to go. And and the only thing I tried to focus on was breathing my way through that swim from one buoy to the next until I was finally back on shore and someone, one of the volunteers with an extended hand helped me out of the water. And only then did I begin to focus on my next moves. Only then did I begin to focus on what I needed to do with the bike. Once I came out of the water, I began remembering where my bike was parked. I thought about drawing my feet off and getting my bike shoes on and getting my helmet on and my sunglasses and getting on that bike and just pedaling as hard and fast as I could. And it's interesting when you're in triathlons, they write your age on the back of your calf. So as you're going through the event, you can see everyone's age around you. And it was funny, as I was going through the bike and the run, I would see different ages on the calves in front of me. And I would see somebody younger than me. And I would think, oh, of course, of course, they're faster than me. Of course, they're stronger than me. You know, I could accept that a little bit easier. But when I saw somebody that had had like an age of 72 on their calf and they were whizzing by me. I was like, oh my God, what's wrong with you, Kelly? She's 30 years older than you and you're still too slow. Um, so all those things are going through your head. And then if I passed somebody who was 25 or 35 or even 40, you know, I got really excited. So all those kind of mind games are going on in your head as you're doing this thing that when it started, you really weren't sure you could do it and you were scared out of your mind and now you're in the middle of it and you're still having all these thoughts racing through your head, but but you've trained and you've figured out how to go the distance and so you just do it anyway. Once I came rolling back into transition on my bike, the 18 miles was over, then I began to worry about my run and started to think about what I needed to do in transition. Hook my bike back on the rack, change my helmet for a baseball cap and my bike shoes for sneakers, and how heavy my thighs were going to be um, when I first jumped off that bike and started to put one foot in front of the other and try to run. You know, when you get off the bike like that after being on it for an hour and really pedaling hard, your thighs are like, they're seized and they, they feel like heavy concrete tree trunks and you're trying to move them. And this goes on for really only the first 60 seconds, but it's like the longest 60 seconds of your life as you're doing it. Again, you get through it. You just, you know this because you've trained and you've practiced it. So you know this is going to happen. And once you're through the transition, you can start to run and really think about your runtime. And like I said, just putting one foot in front of the other and getting through those 3.2 miles. Now, I finished in the middle of the pack with a time that was right where I wanted to be. And I did the thing I didn't think I could do. 
And it didn't matter what the thing was. For me, it was sprint triathlons. I loved the physical challenge and what that did for my mind and my confidence and getting me in shape. And it was something that I had always wanted to do. But doing things we're afraid of or intimidated by or that we have just dreamt of for our whole lives and we aren't sure how to get started, doing those things build confidence, they build strength, they build fortitude, they build hope. Most importantly, they help us go the distance. They help us finish this race. And isn't that what it's all about? After that event, I had some family members who came and cheered me on and were very supportive. It was awesome. And I wrote this little poem after that first Iron Girl race in July 2009, and it's called Never More Sure. Never More Sure. Standing with those whose love and homemade signs cheered me through the finish line, my jelly-like legs trembled. Cameras captured my beaming face, red and gritty with sweat that dried in the hot sun, never more sure of its beauty. Reveling in triumph, we poured champagne and plastic flutes and raised a toast to swimming beyond fear, to lonely runs at dawn, to riding endless country roads. My steadfast heart rests beneath the metal that decorated my chest, never more sure of its strength. And I think that sentiment that I wrote about in that poem, never more sure, never more sure of my beauty, even though my face was red, I had been sweating all day, I smelled, I had no makeup on my face. If you've ever seen people in triathlon garb, it is not very flattering unless you have a perfect body. And there are lots of those people at the event. But if you're someone like me who has a little flab and squishy parts all over, the triathlon clothing is not very attractive and flattering. But again, so here I am, you know, with my fat rolls hanging out for all to see. Um, I'm hot and sweaty. My hair looks disgusting. I smell. And yet in that moment, after completing this thing I didn't think I could do, I, there was, I was never more sure of my beauty. And that feeling is really hard to come by, especially as we go through life and we become middle-aged and we're listening to all the messages in our culture about what beauty is and isn't. And, you know, I just remember in that moment feeling, you know, the most beautiful I've ever felt in my life to that point. And then, you know, that last stanza, my steadfast heart rests beneath the metal that decorated my chest, never more sure of its strength. It wasn't really about the metal but never more sure of its strength because I just was able to get myself through this thing that I didn't think I can do. Man, I felt like I could do anything. I felt like I could conquer the world. There was nothing that would ever take me down. I was just indestructible, indispensable, irreplaceable, all those things. There have been very few moments in my life where I have felt those feelings. And it wasn't about the triathlon. It wasn't because I did that. I'm not saying that so that you think, oh, I've got to go do a sprint triathlon in order to feel this way. No, it is doing what you think you cannot do. And that's why I'm talking about this today. Doing the thing you think you cannot do builds hope. It builds confidence. It shows you who you are. It 
shows you what you're capable of. It teaches you that you can do uncomfortable things, that you can do scary things, and you're not going to die. You're not going to physically die. You're not going to die of embarrassment. And that it's not whether you win or lose. I didn't place in my age group. I didn't win a medal. My times were not super impressive. But... I finished and I did I didn't set out to win it I set out to do it and I did it and it made me never more sure doing the thing you think you cannot do gives you that that never more sure feeling of strength of beauty of capability of confidence of hope this quote from Eleanor is actually from one of her books and it's called you learn by living 11 keys for a more fulfilling life which I have not read that book but I'm going to look that up as soon as I'm done with this podcast but the full quote is you gain strength courage and confidence by every experience in which you really stop to look fear in the face. You are able to say to yourself, I have lived through this horror. I can take the next thing that comes along. You must do the thing you think you cannot do. I love that. And I think in this first season of All There Is, that really is what we've talked about and what we've witnessed. I really want to thank all of you for tuning into these episodes, for listening to me go on and on and on about the things that move me. Again, I think I told you at the beginning that I'd love to write about the things that move me with the hope that they move you too. So my goal here is to share so that if there's anyone out there who can relate that this topic, these con- this content resonates with, that makes me happy. And that's what I'm after. That's really my goal. So thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I am really looking forward to continuing this podcast, to exploring this human experience with all of you in season two. And I don't know about you, but just putting this episode together has inspired me. And I think I'm at a point in my life, again, I've just been through another big transition starting over and I'm in another decade of my life, another season. And I'm feeling like I need to do something that I don't think I can do. And I'm not quite sure what it is yet. I have some ideas swirling around in my head, but I want to encourage you, look for something. Look for something that's been swirling around in your head, kind of beneath the surface, pops up every once in a while, and you think, oh, man, I'd really like to do that. And then you either get scared or intimidated or think, oh, there's no way I could do that. Someone like me couldn't do that. I'm not allowed in those circles. I don't have access to that. I can't get through the gatekeepers, those types of things. The next time they bubble up, latch onto it and think about it for a minute. Dream about it and think, how could you do it? Is it a physical challenge like this? Is it running a 5K? Is it doing a triathlon? Is it learning Spanish or French? Is it traveling to some faraway place by yourself? Is it going back to school? Is it going for a promotion? Is it looking for a new job, getting married, getting divorced? I mean, what what is that thing? Having a baby, adopting a baby? What is that thing for you? What is the thing you think you cannot do? I want you to think about that. I want to encourage you like Eleanor Roosevelt encouraged me. And I think if Eleanor Roosevelt were here today, first of all, she would have a podcast, of course. And I think she would get a kick out of the fact that all these years later, we're thinking about her quote and we're talking about it and encouraging each other. So I'm encouraging you. Well, all there is takes this little break between seasons. I'm going to take July and August to get ready for season two. I want you to think about that. What is the thing you think you cannot do? 
let me know what they are. Send me a note. You can go to my website at kellybargabas.com. You can send me an email. You can respond on social media, Facebook or Instagram, and let me know what it is that you've done that you didn't think you can do and how it changed your life. And also if there's something that you're still dreaming of and you're scared of, let me know what that is too. Let's talk about it. That's one of the things I want to do in season two is to figure out a way to connect a little bit more and actually have some interaction going on with with me and with you, the podcast listener. If you've liked this podcast, if you've been inspired, if you have really enjoyed listening to it, share it with somebody. Share it with a friend. Subscribe to it. Rate it on the podcast site that you listen to, whether it's Apple or Spotify or Buzzsprout, all of that really helps. It helps get the content out. It helps get all of this out to more listeners and connects more people to it, which after all is is the point, right? And of course, you can go to kellybargabas.com to find out more about me, about this podcast, about my leadership podcast, about my other books and writing. And until we meet again, take care.